How can we move from preaching to practicing European values? Hello and welcome to Talking Progress. Over the last years, we have witnessed the erosion of fundamental values of the European Union in some of its member states. Especially the erosion of the rule of law, press freedom and minority rights in Hungary and Poland is worrisome. The pushback of migrants at the European border, however, shows that it's not only individual member states, but also EU institutions and agencies that violate European values. We know that there is no silver bullet, no single solution for realizing and safeguarding European values. Rather, it is a long-term process that needs the work and the conviction of as many people as possible. It is a collective task. In this episode, we want to take a closer look at one very specific idea with the potential to reach many, if not all, Europeans. A European Agency for Citizenship Education. And we want to find out what role this idea can play in the collective task of strengthening European values. My name is Paulina Fröhlich and I'm head of the program Future of Democracy at Das Progressive Zentrum and I will be your host at Talking Progress today. In this podcast, we explore new ideas for social progress in Germany, Europe and across the Atlantic. We are kicking off Talking Progress with a mini-series on the European public sphere. In three episodes, we discuss new and concrete ideas that have the potential to bring Europe closer together. Today's episode revolves around the very simple, but at the same time very difficult question. Can we learn European values? To kick off, we will hear from Susanne Zels about her fascinating idea for how to promote European values. Susanne Zels is co-founder and manager at Values Unite. In 2019, she ran for the European Parliament as the top candidate of the Jungen Union Berlin, the youth organization of the Christian Democratic Party. She has a background in history, politics, and international relations. Welcome to Talking Progress, Susanne. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. It's great to have you, Susanne. Please tell us about your idea for bringing Europe closer together. Yes, um, very happy to do so. So you already mentioned um, that Values Unite was founded uh, last year. It's an initiative to advocate for the establishment of a European Agency for Citizenship Education. And this is how we believe that we can strengthen European values because before citizens can engage in politics and also safeguard those values in the uh, different member states, they need to know about them, they need to understand them, they need to know how they can get engaged, how they can raise their voice in politics. And a European institution such as the Agency for Citizenship Education would support educators all over Europe to do so, to um, strengthen citizens' participation, to enable them to engage. And the idea of the agency would be three objectives. First of all, it would be looking to um, uh, ensure equal access of all EU citizens to uh, citizenship education. Then it would also like to enhance the quality of citizenship education so we can reach even more people and make it more effective. 
And the third objective would be to also foster innovative and uh, digital citizenship education. We've all seen during the pandemic how important it is that our education systems also need to function in times of crises. And we believe that this would also really benefit citizenship education across Europe to make it more digital, to think about new methods of how we can enable citizens to learn about uh, politics and how to engage in politics. So with those three objectives, such a European institution could then go out to support uh, educators across Europe um, by also financially supporting them where it's needed, where there is no national um, public funds available, for example, for citizenship education, but also uh, through capacity building um, We've seen that there's a many European countries where we lack enough educators in the first place. So we need first to um, train and provide more teachers and educators with the skills to teach citizenship education. And then we could also raise a lot of synergies across Europe um, in the field of citizenship education with such an agency by simply translating existing materials and tools to make them available to more educators, to more citizens. So the agency should also be a hub for materials and tools for best practices to then be shared across um, the continent and to make um, the very good existing uh, materials and work uh, available to everybody. And last but not least, the agency should also be um, coordinating member states' efforts in this field because all uh, education systems are, of course, uh, very individual. They are diverse um, and have their own approaches to how citizenship education is done in each member state. But at the same time, I feel we can all um, learn from each other and we can benefit from having more exchange on the policy level um, about how it's been uh, done effectively maybe in certain uh, states and, and cases. And this is why the agency should also provide a platform for dialogue of for policymakers from um, the different member states. So maybe that's the idea in brief, and then I'm happy to uh, elaborate on it. Oh, yeah, I would love to do that too. So listening to the objectives you meant, but also like this broad range of characteristics, um, it brings me to a question. So citizenship education is obviously broad field, right? Ranging from history over institutional architecture, but also digital media literacy, as you already mentioned. Where do you think is the need for action most acute? Mm, there's various um, matters where, which are acute, I think. But the one we've uh, really sort of picked up on in, uh, in the third objective is the digital um, citizenship education, mm -hmm. because we have seen there's a lot of disinformation campaigns which are really disrupting our social cohesion and also um, really making it difficult to to inform citizens well um, because of fake news spreading and also citizens being uncertain about what is actually uh, true and what isn't. So having more uh, digital literacy is an essential part of citizenship education in order to really um, also reach out to the citizens through digital media and 
um, through digital learning methods. Um, and there's also mm. a study coming out um, soon, which has really stressed how there's a link between um, digital literacy and citizenship education, how you can't really think one without the other. So I feel this would be something that the agency can really foster and focus on. Right, right. I'm just thinking about the term citizenship. So will the agency be accessible for all EU residents or is it EU citizens exclusively? You're not the first one to ask. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I'm aware that this is a little bit deceiving um, as a title. But of course, it will be um, looking to educate all people living in Europe. So not just the citizens. Um, maybe this uh, is um, similar to how it's, it, it's working in, in Germany with the federal agency um, for citizenship education, uh, but it does actually call itself civic <laughs> education. We, we chose the term citizenship education because it's the one um, most used in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, we definitely do not want to only have an offer for citizens, but for all people who, who live in Europe. Great. That sounds uh, inclusive and progressive. Um, I have a last question before introducing our second guest, um, which is what would be the next concrete steps uh, towards establishing such an agency? Yes. So um, after having published uh, a very detailed proposal of what we believe uh, the agency should look like, how it should be set up, um, we have now approached members of the European Parliament um, with this idea, with this proposal, but I'm also very happy to say that it was also the other way around that members have approached us after reading about it. And we are um, building an alliance of, um, of MEPs who wish to support this proposal. And we are looking to launch a pilot project on the European level to explore the possibilities of how this uh, can best be implemented and to explore maybe also some of the first steps that we've um, described in the proposal of how we could draw up a comprehensive European strategy on citizenship education. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, we will gain a majority in the European Parliament to support the, the, the pri pilot project being launched and also to the Commission to approve it. Okay, so alliance building is what I got, is like one of the next concrete steps. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so anybody listening, join the alliance if you think this is a great idea. Susanna, I would like to take your idea um, of a European Agency for Citizenship Education as the starting point for a broader debate on European values and explore a little bit deeper what European values actually are and how we can put them into practice for the future. For this, we have invited someone who has been following EU policies very closely for a long time and who has co-developed fascinating tools for measuring practiced values. I'm very happy to welcome Jana Puglerin to our discussion. Hi, Jana. Hello. <laughs> Jana is head of the Berlin office and a senior policy fellow of the European Council on Foreign Relations. She also directs ECFSR's Rethink Europe initiative, which explores and illustrates different forms European of cooperation. Jana has a doctorate in political science and is a leading expert in EU foreign and security policy. Welcome to Talking Progress. Jana, it's great to have you. No, it's great to, to be with you. <laughs> Jana and Susanna, I personally identify as a EU citizen. 
Um, so I would say I'm European. One reason for this is that I share the values of the European Union um, and which it is founded on. So respect for human rights, um, dignity, freedom, democracy, equality, the rule of law, and also respect for human rights, of course, in any sense. But in practice, however, we do not always live up to these ideals. There are numerous cases in which the EU and its member states violate these values in and outside its borders. Now, if we could fast forward to the year 2030, what gives you two the hope that by then the European Union will have become better at putting its own values into practice? And what role, second question, could citizenship education play in this? Maybe I start? Sure. Because um, I have some numbers, actually, um, and it's the EU citizens that give me hope. Um, so ECFR um, regularly does public polling. And in 2019, prior to the EP elections um, in Europe, we did a public survey in 14 EU member states. And in one of the questions, we asked EU citizens to identify what would be the biggest loss if the union uh, were to disintegrate. And the most common response um, concerned the benefits of the single market, like the ability to live and work and travel in other EU member states. Uh, and the second most response uh, concerned the EU capacity to act as, as, as a global actor. Um, but interestingly, um, the third most common response concerned a commitment to European values. So people really cared about the protection of democracy and the rule of law and human rights. And what is more, um, so we um, we found out in another survey that we did earlier in spring this year, um, but also in this old survey that it's especially in those countries where, for example, the rule of law is threatened right now, where people actually care about the EU protecting it the most, uh, namely in Hungary and Poland. So in April 2020, 53% of Poles said that the EU should be more active in defending the rule of law in Poland and only 16% disagreed. So um, I think that gives me hope that actually Europeans care about those values still. Um, and, and it's something um, that they, they value um, a great deal. And in a more recent poll, for example, um, that we did in the so-called frugal countries, um, it, it becomes obvious that people in those countries actually care uh, about democracy and human rights and rule of law as much as about climate change. And this is very high up uh, on the, on the priority list for Europeans. So, um, and, and this, shows me that not all is lost and that there are people out there who are willing to yeah, fight <laughs> for those values and to make sure that um, the EU gets better in uh, protecti protecting them and uh, putting its own values into practice. That's actually great that numbers are motivating. <laughs> It's a great thing. Uh, Susanne, what about your hope? I can only confirm what Jana was saying. Um, my family originally comes from Poland, which is why I've very closely followed the developments in uh, that country specifically in the past years. And a lot of, uh, of, of people I know from Poland, but also um, that have moved abroad uh, since um, also those developments have been happening in Poland. A lot of people seem to be leaving, which is quite uh, shocking. Um, they they say they were, for example, very disappointed with the the decision taken at the uh, last EU uh, Council meeting, where um, sort of Poland and and Hungary were not um, 
from their perspective, forced enough to oblige to to say rule of law, for example. So they they kind of really expected uh, the EU to not give those countries any um, EU funds until they will not oblige with uh, with those values. Um, but coming back to the question what citizenship education can maybe do about this is I feel like there's a lot of people in those countries who very much care, who are very um, also, uh, yeah, looking to to Europe to uh, to help them, but they are not always very active within their own national political sphere. So while they will go, for example, on the street and protest, that that that's not um, sort of enough to then really change the government um, in that country, um, and. I'm hopeful that citizenship education can maybe also provide them with additional uh, tools of how to change the politics in their country to maybe show them how they can actually within a party or within a civil society organization even take more influence on what is happening in within their country um, and be sort of the, the motor of change themselves um, rather than just waiting for Europe to put on enough pressure uh, from like the European level onto, onto those governments. Yeah. Susanna, may I actually ask one more question back concerning to what you just said? Yes, of course. So um, you, you just described this uh, phenomena, which, um, which we also know, even though in a different situation from Germany, right? Like this special societal situation and atmosphere um, where very different opinions seem to clash in the public discourse. So I was wondering, I was told that teaching math can be difficult, but it's fairly straightforward because there are right and wrong answers, right? And now we're talking about values. So values on one hand seem to be more complex. Um, they are interpretable, fluid and plural. And this is what we want them to be. But on the other hand, they need to be robust uh, in order to fulfill the function of serving as a foundation for societies. May it be in a country, nationally, or may it be in the union? So in your understanding of civic education, can we disagree on basic values? We cannot disagree on, say, a country or a society wanting to oblige with rule of law or freedom. But what we do need to do is to then debate about what does freedom and rule of law mean in Europe or in our member states. And this is also where I'm hoping that citizenship education can provide us with the knowledge and tools to do so and get more people engaged in those debates. Because what we see is that people in uh, Poland that might, for example, be also voting for the government, which is now limiting freedom or rule of law, will feel like they are very much... Um, obliging with with those values but they, their understanding of those values is different than the one say we would hold and this is why we need to get citizens and and people engaged in debating about what does freedom actually mean what does rule of law actually mean i mean we can um we can develop uh, definitions at european level to specify this uh, more than we maybe uh, have currently in Article 2 of the treaties, but we will not be able to define every specific uh, situation we will find ourselves in where questions of freedom or rule of law are um, relevant 
Um, this also, um, I think, is very well demonstrated now in the pandemic. We cannot foresee every situation where we need to decide about what uh, are the limits of our freedom or when are we also maybe willing to sacrifice certain freedoms to um, protect uh, society from, say, a, a pandemic. Mm. But we, we do need to engage more people on de debating about what this should mean and where where freedom should begin and where freedom should end and that um, that we all have a common understanding of it at the European level. Right. One of the values that has been particularly important during this pandemic is solidarity. While there has been a lot of talk whether or not the member states stood in solidarity during the crisis, the ECFR has measured the degree of solidarity. So how do you do this, Jana? And what are the main results you can share with us? So when the coronavirus crisis has started practically a year ago, um, many member states said that there was a need for more solidarity um, and for a more coordinated European response to, to deliver it. And there was this widespread sentiment that the EU was basically uh, failing and that member states would raise the drawbridges. And so we, we saw a lot of uh, travel restrictions and we saw the export bans uh, on medical goods. And yeah, there was a lot of talk about kind of European member states going nationalist again. And so that's why we at ECFR wanted to have a closer look if that was really the end um, of the story. And so we early on um, decided to basically develop an interactive data visualization tool um, that collects and visualizes solidarity among EU member states, but also uh, among member states and EU institutions. Um, so we decided we, that we engage our network of so-called associated um, researchers. So in every EU member state, we have a person uh, doing research for us. Um, and we decided to work with them and, of course, with our Rethink Europe team. And we looked at publicly available uh, sources uh, or, or that, that we collected um, that, that would kind of indicate um, actions of solidarity. And so we collected these instances of solidarity all over Europe uh, throughout the crisis. Um, and yeah, what we actually wanted to achieve is we wanted to illustrate um, how solidarity between the EU institutions um, and between the member states has been communicated, has been debated and put into action. Um, and we started the tracker um, in the beginning of March and um, actually we ended it uh, at the end of September last year with the first wave or basically shortly be before the second wave. And yeah. so what we found out is that... Um, we were able to document a dense network of mutual aid and cooperation um, across Europe. And we could illustrate that the EU had indeed played a very critical role throughout the pandemic um, and that this was all in a stark contrast to the claims of a total lack of European solidarity. And we found out that despite the divisions and uh, the unilateral travel restrictions and the export bans, Europeans are indeed deeply interconnected and remained deeply interconnected. And um, I was particularly happy to see that really literally every member state has shown solidarity 
uh, towards uh, fellow Europeans. So the EU institutions have stepped up significantly, not only in financial and economic terms, but also when it comes to the people of Europe um, and and the member states. Also, some member states that usually don't have kind of the best relationship with each other or share uh, or, or see uh, policy problems the same way helped each other. So the Poles sent um, medical aid and, and personnel to Italy early on, for example. Um, so I think that with our solidarity tracker, we were able to show that the claims that the European project has failed are wrong and that instead we could showcase um, that the European Union stands together with member states that help one another in a time of severe peril. Right. I wonder if the results which you describe are actually a new trend, because during the financial crisis, let's say 20, uh, 2008, 2009, 10, uh, European solidarity seemed to have been much lower. All loans given to debt-ridden member states were based on strict conditionality, and the recovery fund today has not only lower conditionality on loans, but even gives out grants uh, What changed the two uh, between these two crises that had led to this increase of financial solidarity? So, I don't want to overestimate the role that Germany plays in the European Union, but here I think it has been rather significant. So, I think it really has been predominantly the position of Germany that has changed. So, um, in the kind of in 2010 um, and the years um, that followed, um, the narrative from Germany uh, primarily was to the South, um, well, this is your fault because you have not been enough of a Swabian housewife and you have not been able to keep your uh, yeah, finances in order. Um, and now what you hear or what you heard early on also from the chancellery was very much, we are in this together. This is kind of a European crisis. This is not a national crisis. It's nobody's fault. And we, we, we are dependent on each other. So, um, and, and, and I really, I think there was really a significant change uh, in the narrative that came from the very top, from the chancellery. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that was not a given because uh, when you remember uh, kind of a year ago, the beginning of the crisis, the debate we had about Corona bonds. So uh, actually, actually, we, we, we were on the on the same path as in, in, in 2010, mm -hmm. um, blaming uh, yeah other member states and 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 also yeah talking about whose um, fault it was and and all that. And so I think that we we actually managed to turn this debate around into something more constructive. And I was really pleased to see um, the chancellor arguing that kind of we in Germany are only well off um, and, 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 yeah, and, and can prosper actually as a country when our neighbors, um, uh, yeah, um, don't starve and don't, don't, um, when the, when the economy there uh, doesn't completely collapse. And I think that made a lot of difference. Yeah. Okay, so attitude, conviction, narrative, those are things which changed, which brings us, of course, especially in this uh, round where we sit together, to the question, how, what does, how does this change of mind come along, right? And can we learn these things? So trying to circle back to the topic of citizenship education, Jana, is standing in solidarity with each other um, something that we can learn And is citizenship education, in your opinion, an effective tool for increasing this sort of solidarity we're talking about? 
Yes, absolutely. And that brings me also back to, um, you mentioned the, the Dairy New Spaces project in the very beginning. So our work on the European public sphere. And um, while I was working on this, I really realized how important it is that um, people know about each other and about the situation they are in and um, how important also it is to uh, yeah to have this uh, European public sphere and to learn something about the situation in, in Italy and the problems that people are suffering from and the, the images that we saw from Bergamo early on, um, I think really helped to to raise the awareness also of, of the countries in the north and and to to raise actually the feeling of solidarity and um, I think citizenship education uh, serves the same purpose. It's really about, yeah, about creating a, a European awareness, uh, kind of a feeling for the other and understanding. And I think this leads us then uh, to solidarity, to mutual solidarity. Yeah, the, the Daring New Spaces project you mentioned, uh, we, we were talking a lot about future scenarios or um, visions. I mean, we were talking about future visions of the European public sphere, but also part of the project was trying to define what is already here and what can we do today in order to get there. So, um, Susanna, as you are in the midst of asking yourself these questions and working on them, I would like to ask you if you could explain to our listeners what efforts the European Union is already taking with regard to citizenship education and to what extent they fall short of the idea of creating an agency. Yeah, um, the EU has already launched a lot of programs which are um, covering partially citizenship education. So there's the uh, Citizens uh, for Europe program, which, for example, funds um, projects and initiatives who work on the European dimension of citizenship education. Um, however, this is not a very large program uh, when it comes to sort of the size of, of funds uh, that are available on a European scale. And then we have Erasmus+, Plus, which is um, the leading initiative uh, on the European level in this field. They fund uh, a lot of mobility, uh, especially for youth. And this, of course, also contributes to citizenship and education in the sense that Jana was saying that you learn about the others when you get the opportunity to also travel abroad for um, your education um, and training. Mm -hmm. uh, but the various efforts which we've seen at the European level Uh, really sh fall short of an agency in the sense that um, citizenship education always plays a marginal role in it, but it's not really been been the focus of it. And we have had various declarations at EU level um, stressing that the objective of active citizenship um, should be fostered at European level, mm. um, but we, we haven't really got the tools yet to do this um, more specifically. So I feel a agency would really bring about the policy tools to then also put the declarations into practice. So for example, in 2015, all education ministers uh, from the member states signed the Paris Declaration, which already outlined what should we be doing in the field of citizenship education And um, the agency could pick up this declaration and really put into practice what was outlined in there. 
Yeah. Um, I have a closing question to the two of you. Um, and I'd like to start with you, Susanna, because it really um, links well to what you just shared with us. So we all know politics is complex and slow, and there's like a bunch of things we would like to change. But if you could implement one policy to help put European values into practice, what would it be? I guess uh, f for me, I've already defined the one policy I want. Um, this is why why I launched this initiative. So I would really like to see um, a European um, yeah program set up that supports citizenship educators across Europe where they are lacking funding and support to bring about more citizenship education um, to all all regions, all parts of Europe. Thank you so much. Jana, what is the one policy? Yeah, since Susanne's policy is already taken, um, I would go back to a classic. Um, I would really love to see stricter conditionality when it comes to, uh, yeah, giving money to, let's call them autocracies in the European Union. And um, mm -hmm. I know that there have been a lot of attempts. Um, and I don't know if you can call the recent so-called compromise uh, a total failure, but it's definitely not far-reaching um, enough. So I would really love to see stricter conditionality and punishment, to put it bluntly. Dear listeners, you couldn't have seen it. That's why I'm telling you. Susanna has been nodding and smiling. So I think both policy recommendations are second by the other. I'm sure many of you, dear listeners, would like to dive deeper into the debate. But unfortunately, we do not have the time for to do this right now, right here. However, for those of you who would like to learn more about citizenship education and European values, we have prepared three recommendations. Every Talking Progress episode brings to you our three top recommendations of further readings, other podcasts, videos, or projects that will help you to delve deeper into the topic. If you don't mind, uh, the two of you, I will start and uh, then hand over to you. So it's a little disclaimer. My recommendation this week is a bit nerdy. Uh, when I was preparing for this episode, I came across an academic reading about citizenship education that I found really, really interesting. The paper is called Cultivating a Critical Capacity to Implement Universal Values Nationally and is written by Katarzyna Tawok from Stockholm University. First of all, I think it does a really good job in putting the difficult task of citizenship education in a nutshell. I quote, The major goal of citizenship education is to create a coherent and unified group of citizens while allowing them to maintain their diverse beliefs, ways of life, language, and cultural identities, end of quote. And second of all, it gives a great overview, the paper, of different understandings of citizenship education. For example, purified patriotism by Martha Nussbaum or transformative citizenship education by James E. Banks. And thirdly, it develops a very important conclusion. One key to good citizenship education, she writes, are well-trained citizenship educators. They need specific training on how to endorse a critical culture towards dialogue. So give it a read. Um, you can find the link in the free, for the free download in the show notes. And uh, Susanne, I'd like to ask you, what is your recommendation to our leaders today? I will recommend another podcast. Uh, it's called Education in Europe. 
And I enjoyed listening into it very much because it yeah, very much focuses on what I'm working on at the moment, but it will benefit anybody who wants to learn more about the European dimension of citizenship education. Um, there's guests uh, from various member states speaking about also their national perspective on it and what has been achieved, what we are lacking. So I can very much recommend uh, listening in. Um, they are nicely short episodes, so uh, it works well on your way to work or which uh, is unlikely to be happening for most people in your lunch break, maybe. Amazing. Uh, the link will also be in the show notes. Jana, what is your recommendation? So um, I would like to recommend a report that was published by an institution that is called More in Common. They do fabulous work, not only um, this country report, but um, the country report that I refer to is a seven country report. It's called The New Normal, and it's uh, basically uh, based on a survey um, that More in Common um, has done uh, amongst not only um, Europeans, but also in the United States and in the United Kingdom. Um, about, um, yeah, about things that, um, I have been working on, um, previously as well, or that I continue to, to work on, um, about, uh, social cohesion and about, uh, what brings, uh, citizens together or what drives them apart. And, and this is a study based on, um, yeah, the, the survey and it's about the, the pandemic, of course, um, and the, the, the assumption is that basically the pandemic has every potential to um, split societies um, and, and to divide us. But um, in the study, um, more in common shows that this is actually not inevitable and um, that there is there are many people that hope for change in their societies um, and that the crisis has made us more aware of our shared humanity um, that people actually value very much strong local communities, uh, their connection to nature. And um, the, the main finding um, that More in Common um, basically has is that the pandemic has created a new sense of togetherness. Um, and this was actually very positive news. It's not entirely positive, the whole report. There's also um, a lot of reason for concern, but it's just very, very interesting and 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 well done and um yeah it's it's a great read um the, the individual country reports and and the the slides um that some that wrap kind of the seven um, countries um up and yeah have a look yeah wonderful please find the link to the the new normal more in common study also in our show notes Susanne Zells from values unite and jana puglerin from ecfr thanks a lot for you both for joining the third episode of Talking Progress. This was the last episode of our mini-series on the European public sphere. Thank you all for listening. Talking Progress will be back soon with new ideas for social progress. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.